0: What used to be a fairly inefficient technology now can provide efficiencies double or in some cases triple of what they were just 20 years ago.
1: And I'm Jay Dowenhauer. Today we're talking about combined heat and power, the process of taking waste heat and increasing a system's overall efficiency. This is exciting because most of the energy from power production usually comes out as heat. So why not scoop it up and do something with it? You've likely heard this phenomenon on the utility scale. Heat from a turbine can often run a second steam turbine using a heat exchanger. This is commonly called a heat recovery steam generator and it's a great way to increase the efficiency at a facility. The technology today is smaller scale for commercial and industrial applications. They're called microturbines, and they are quickly gaining in popularity. Rather than fueled by power from the grid, they typically run on a gas or liquid fuel like propane, natural gas, kerosene, or even aviation fuel. And the company we are speaking to today makes units that can generate between 30 kilowatts and 30 megawatts. What's exciting is that a single microturbine can not only generate electricity, but use waste heat to warm water lines, which can also aid in any facility with a boiler. And the heat can even help with chilling as well. That concept is called combined cooling heat and power, or CCHP. It's a cool concept and a crucial part of the so-called microgrid, whereby our generation sources become increasingly splintered. I like them for their efficiency, but I'm a big proponent of a technology that can go where conventional utilities cannot. You heard me talk about this in my wind episodes. These CHP systems are widely used in the oil field where a utility line drop may be out of the question. That's great if you ask me because they can run on natural gas straight out of the well. All too often, I've seen natural gas flaring off out in the oil fields. It's a huge waste. I remember taking some vendors from the Northeast out on a side in West Texas, and we didn't even need headlights because the flares were so bright. When they asked me what it was, I said, yeah, that's natural gas that could be heating your homes this winter. Now it won't. We need small technologies like these to fill in the gaps, whether it's the West Texas Permian Basin or a small village in Africa. It fits my mantra that with energy technologies, it needs to be everything, everywhere, all the time. Our guest today is Jim Krause, Executive Vice President of Sales and Marketing for Capstone Turbine Corporation, a manufacturer of these sleek little products based in Chatsworth, California. That's Northwest of LA. Now this is no Apple building their products in some factory in Asia. They design and manufacture right there in Southern California. Jim and I talked about the role CCHP and CHP systems play in the energy mix, as well as what it means for something to be made in America. Being the head of sales, I couldn't help but open the interview with a line from the Wolf of Wall Street. The clean version, of course. Somehow it's done, boom. Mm. Sell me that pen. Watch. Go on. Let me sell this pen. That's my boy right there. This pen. Sell anything. Why would you do me a favor? Why would you name down that napkin for me? I don't have a pen. Exactly. Supply and demand, my friend. You know what I'm saying? Shit. He's creating urgency. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Jim Krauss. Here with Jim Krauss, Executive VP of Sales and Marketing. Jim, (laughs) you've seen Wolf of Wall Street, you know, the part where he basically says, sell me this pen. Jim, sell me a CHP system in 10 seconds.
0: Sure. So I guess I would start Jay was saying, you know, would you like to save twenty five to fifty percent on your energy cost? Would you like to have backup power or resiliency in case of storm or natural disaster, all while reducing your carbon footprint and emissions? It's about business continuity. And most customers say absolutely, and then the sales process starts. But that's really the driver for CHP is save money, improve your reliability, and improve the efficiency of your facility, which reduces your carbon footprint and your emissions.
1: I've been looking through your product line, and it looks like these units can do just about everything. What do you find them most commonly used for?
0: Today, about half of our business is combined heat and power, or CHP, or combined cooling heat and power, CCHP, and the other 45% is oil and gas. Most of our customers use our product as their primary source of power and in some cases thermal energy as well. About half of the products we sell go into applications where they're what we call standalone, where we're the only source of power for that particular customer, whether it's a commercial industrial CHP customer or, in more likely the case, uh, one of our oil and gas customers.
1: I work in the boiler sector. Uh, Say I want to convince a business to dig a boiler, invest in a CHP system. What would I tell them?
0: I think ditching the boiler might be a little further than we typically go, but the reality is if you're making hot water, using the thermal energy from the microturbine while using all the electrical energy gives you the efficiency gain that we're trying to get to. So a lot of times what happens is they don't ditch the boiler, but the boiler becomes backup or peak shaving or fills in the gaps where the thermal match and the electrical match from a microturbine perspective aren't direct. Beyond that, we do a fair amount of steam projects and it's a growing piece of our business where microturbine exhaust is actually the air or the air going into the burner for a boiler. In those cases, a lot of times there's also an auxiliary burner or blower so that if the microturbine's down, the customer could still fire their boiler, just the microturbine isn't the airstream to provide the high oxygen level air that the burner requires going into into the boiler don't often replace them, but we do often work along with or directly in conjunction with existing boilers or new boilers. The water side still needs to be treated and all of the traditional boiler type maintenance done on the water side. What we don't do from a microturbine perspective is add additional complexity or maintenance items. The microturbines, our particular technology is air bearings, so there is no coolant or lubricating oil for the microturbine. We get very long service intervals in a typical environment we can run up to 8,000 hours between service intervals. And then at 40,000 hours, we do a minor overhaul. And at 80,000 hours, we do a major overhaul. So we don't necessarily reduce the maintenance on the boiler side, but we don't increase the maintenance by adding a microturbine-based CHP solution to the existing facility.
1: I spend a lot of time also in the oil and gas sector, especially doing water treatment technologies. Tell us how your technology fits in in the oil and gas sector. I know that's a big component of your business. Most
0: of the projects that we've done have been really in two areas. One is production power, either running rod pumps or submersible pumps or lack units at the production pad. Then the other big market is pipeline or compression. So along the pipeline we'll have C30s or C65s that provide valve control, telemetry, cathodic protection. And then in the compressor station environment, we typically are the source of power for the station. We don't typically provide the power to compress the gas but rather we provide the power and in some cases thermal energy or glycol dryers or space conditioning for the station power and auxiliaries.
1: And we should also mentioned that in this setting, they're moving natural gas already. You're taking a slipstream of that natural gas and powering your CHP system. Is that correct?
0: Correct. At the wellhead, we're taking what would typically be flared gas and using it in a microturbine. The microturbines are very tolerant of off-spec fuels, so high BTU fuels, as long as the fuel is heated and the heavy hydrocarbons are vaporized and stay a vapor all the way into the microturbine, we can handle very hot gas. And in a compressor application or in a pipeline application, we're taking the gas from the pipeline or from the compressor station and running
1: into the microturbine. And one more final oil field question. This is one of the things that always bugged me personally, especially in the oil field, is seeing all this gas get flared off and nothing to really do about it.
0: Yeah, certainly. So I think people tend to do what they did last time. And when business is good, they tend to be in a hurry. So the hole gets drilled, it gets fracked if it needs to be fracked. And then they say, hey, we better start producing. They drag a rental generator out and they start delivering diesel fuel and everybody moves on to the next one. The operators take over and they just keep buying fuel. And that's what happens in good times. As the industry has actually slowed down, we've actually seen customers, as they try to reduce costs, get more serious in some cases about utilizing that flare gas to eliminate the need for a rental generator and the delivery of diesel fuel, because delivered diesel fuel can be as much as $10 a gallon, depending on how far you're driving and what quantities you're able to drive it out there at. The other benefit is environmental. There's no risk of spillage or many of the environmental issues that come with a Diesel engine at a production site. I think it's a bit of a cultural change, and sometimes it's driven by hard times more than it is good times. We're seeing ever increasing opportunities in the flare gas sector, both domestically and internationally.
1: Other than the oil and gas sector, do you see situations where commercial or industrial folks switch entirely to CHP systems? What would a scenario like that look like?
0: I think we're at the beginning of that. We have sites where we're the only source of power and thermal energy, but that usually had historically been driven by the fact that they were remote locations and the cost or the ability to bring grid power in was prohibitive. But today with the the popularity of microgrids and renewables and battery storage, we're seeing more customers consider to be what we what sometimes we refer to as grid defectors, that they're looking at the cost of staying connected to the grid versus not, and looking at options that include microturbine-based CHP as sort of the base load opportunity, and then combine it with battery storage or solar or distributed wind to give them a solution or an energy supply that's equal to or greater than the reliability of grid power. We don't see a lot of it today, but it's something that people are discussing more. And I think as these other technologies mature and the cost comes down, we'll see more companies and or customers, instead of bringing electric utility in, just bring natural gas and provide all of the utilities, electrical and thermal, to their clients based on distributed generation and microturbine-based CHP and CCHP solutions.
1: I might be putting you on the spot here, but what do you say to utility operators who'd be getting mad at you about something like this?
0: Utilities need to look at this as an opportunity, and utilities that see customers as a valued partner in the energy space, I think can participate in the distributed generation space. It doesn't necessarily have to be a negative for a utility. It's just going to be different than it has been. We have several projects, microgrid projects that we're actually working with utilities on. And oftentimes, utilities have unregulated arms that participate in different segments of the market that the regulated utilities either can't or don't participate in. But I think utilities, especially forward-thinking, progressive utilities will find their niche and will thrive in this changing environment.
1: Before the interview, I looked at your website and tried to absorb as much of your case studies and everything as I could. What do you mean when you say in one of your videos that the grid is up to 33% efficient and your CCHP systems are 90% efficient?
0: When you look at grid power, you know, you've got a, a central plant, you've got transformers, transmission lines, distribution system, transformers. So a good combined cycle, large turbine, steam turbine, central generating plant might be as high as 58% efficient, but by the time you get the power from where it's generated to the socket on your wall or the breaker in your factory, it's closer to 33% efficient. When we look at a CCHP or even a CHP system, we're going to generate the electricity and the thermal energy at its point of use inside the fence of the customer's facility. We put the natural gas in most cases into the microturbine and about 33% of that natural gas going into the turbine comes out as electrical energy. The rest of it is available for us to use in the exhaust. We take the exhaust heat and in a CCHP application we can actually make chilled water. And then there's still enough energy left in the exhaust to do a lower temperature hot water loop for domestic uses for laundry or kitchens or any other domestic application. So by using the one fuel source to make electricity, chilled water, and hot water, we can see efficiencies up as high as
1: 90%. It sounds counterintuitive, but CHP systems also have the CCHP, the combined cooling heat and power as well. Tell us how. That- How do you get cooling from waste heat? Sure.
0: I think when I got into the industry, it was a bit of a mystery to myself as well. But basically, anybody who's ever had an RV is familiar with their refrigerator in their RV that runs on propane. The concept is similar, it's just much larger. There's a number of different manufacturers that make what are called absorption chillers. The absorption chiller takes the thermal energy, either in the form of hot water, steam, or in some cases the exhaust directly from the microturbine, and they heat and cool a working fluid. Fluid. And in this case, the working fluid is lithium bromide. And the lithium bromide solution, as it goes through a heating and cooling process, goes through a phase change. And in that phase change, the energy that's given off is in the form of cold. And they spray the lithium bromide solution over a chilled water bundle within the absorption chiller, and it cools the chilled water circuit of a building, industrial customer. The technology has been around for for decades and it was widely used in steam loops and other places. The nice thing is with the growth of the CHP industry, there's been some growth or improvements made to the product. So what used to be a fairly inefficient technology now can provide efficiencies double or in some cases triple of what they were just 20 years ago.
1: I always like asking this question, especially with new technologies. What benefits, Jim, do you see for this technology in the wider world? specifically maybe the developing world
0: there's a lot of benefit. Today most of the power comes from diesel generators that are sitting in front of buildings or beside people's homes and you look at the air pollution issues, their NOx emissions, CO, particulate matter. The air that people are breathing is in a lot of places in the world bad for them. We look at the conversion from diesel to natural gas as a step in the right direction to get to the renewable energy grid that we all would like to see in the next 20 to 50 years. But the step of of moving from a dirty fuel to a clean fuel, combined with the fact that microturbines, our emissions are about one-tenth typically of a similar internal combustion engine, even a natural gas engine. The wider world benefits from the emissions or the environmentally friendliness on a local basis. But then when they're used in a CHP or CCHP application, you also get the benefit of carbon reduction. We get the local air we breathe benefit in the form of less criteria pollutants. And we get the let's save the planet Climate change benefit in reduced carbon footprint because we're improving the energy efficiency at the customer's location of the fuel we're using.
1: What are some of the drawbacks to this technology? I would assume maybe some upfront price issues?
0: Certainly, we are almost always a higher first cost than a similar. Sized internal combustion engine. In the U.S., the, the cost differential is much narrower. In some cases, we're actually about the same first cost as um, internal combustion gas engines that are required to add exhaust after treatment, like selective catalytic reduction, SCRs. It also drives additional maintenance cost as well as if you're going to install it in an urban environment, noise and vibration are always something that have to be addressed with the packaging and the installation. Our units are very low noise. The units have no vibration. Vibration. So we find in places where you have to have a sort of or equal technology to capstone, the first cost differential can be very close. Where that first cost differential becomes problematic or challenging is in parts of the world where low cost diesel generators and emission requirements don't require the same level of technology capstone provides to its customers.
1: I know this is a bit outside your area, but we've been hearing about CHP systems on gas turbines when it comes to industrial power generation for a while now. Are any innovations being made to take some of the lessons you've learned with Capstone's technology and scale it up to an industrial level, to a utility level?
0: What we've done at Capstone, is, we believe, is take the industrial gas turbine technology and benefits and sort of miniaturize it. The other thing is, because our turbines are easily connected together, our niche is 30 kilowatts to 10 megawatts. Small industrial customers can take advantage of capstone technology the same way a large customer would take advantage of a Siemens or a GE or a much larger gas turbine. And then I guess the other way I'd answer that question, Jay, is that we're also working on a 250 and a 370 kilowatt. Microturbine. The benefit there is a little bit of added efficiency. As we go up in size, we're improving the electrical efficiency of the turbine, and it allows us to participate in a larger size range than we do today. But we have several multi-megawatt installations. I think today our largest single installation is about eight megawatts. But we regularly do two to four megawatt commercial industrial CHP installations for customers around the world.
1: You're building these units, you're fabricating them in California. Tell us what that means to be able to do this kind of manufacturing here. We hear so much about that stuff these days.
0: Sure. Capstone was founded in Southern California with people that came from the aerospace-aerojet industry. Southern California, being a one-time bedrock of the aerospace-aerojet industry, had a lot of people that came out of that sector. And today, we still have that base here. Capstone has a high-technology product, so we're able to get combustion engineers or the other engineers that are required for a high-tech product, as well as the trades that we need, machinists, welders, assemblers that are um, highly skilled to work on a modern or advanced technology. We have two facilities here in Southern California, one in Chatsworth, one in Van Nuys, where all of our product is assembled, tested, and shipped to customers worldwide. When I say 100% American-made, we do source some components from different parts of the world, but more than 90% of the technology is sourced here in the States.
1: What would you say to folks who say that California is not friendly to manufacturing and business?
0: California is a unique place to do business, but I think the advantages outweigh the disadvantages, and we've been here for 25 years and currently have no plans to leave.
1: All right, fantastic. I'm going to finish with a lightning round of your thoughts on different energy technologies. First one's natural gas.
0: Transition fuel. Crude oil. Not going away anytime soon. Nuclear. Black eye. Coal. Needs to find its place with advanced technology to make it more friendly. Wind serves a role solar same there's a fit for both biofuels emerging still
1: fuel cells
0: 10 years away from commercial production and have been since 1960 hydroelectric underrated
1: geothermal expensive electric vehicles coming whether you want them or not and finally nuclear fusion wish we had it All right. Jim Krause, Capstone Turbine Corporation, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Jay. Appreciate it. Now that is how you do a lightning round. Great job. Again, that was Jim Krause, Executive Vice President of Sales and Marketing for California-based Capstone Turbine Corporation. And by the way, the Department of Energy conducted a study in 2016 that says the United States could utilize combined heat and power at over 291,000 sites for a grand total of 240 gigawatts of power. I wanna thank Jim as well as Caleb Finch from Capstone for getting materials for this episode. You can check out plenty of cool pictures on Instagram, at Host Energy, and online at energy-cast.com. All guests are sent the raw and finished recordings the week of release. So far, no complaints. Music was produced by Sean Stroop at Stroop Loops. That wraps up episode 24. Be sure to join us next time when we explore the raw power of the sun with concentrated solar power. Until then, I'm Jay Downhower. We'll see you next time.